Hello, listeners. This is Hopes This Helps, America's IT podcast. We are announcing a spooky and patriotic show number 31, recorded on October 31st of 2020. We have about 0.2538 quibbies worth of content today. Our categories include a boot-up, cybersecurity month things, ITIL org structure and ops, a State of the Zunion update, and the question of the week. My name is Steve. And I'm Tiffany. And thanks for tuning in. That was a very patriotic voice you had there, I must say. My jowliest voice imaginable. It was very jowly. I must say, like, you did play that guy from Beauty and the Beast that one time who has a jowly voice. I did. That one time. I have experience in jowly voices. Yes. Yes. So if you are a new listener, welcome. We promise we won't be jolly all the time. And if you are a returning listener, thank you and welcome back to the jolliness of this week. Yes. We're going to be super jolly. And super ranty. Yes. We love ranting about stuff because the tech world, as fun as it is, can be infuriating. Yeah. It's day to day. Some days are better than others. And infuriating is part of the job at this point. So buckle up this week, get your margaritas and your Halloween costume, get ready. It's going to get weird. It's going to get pretty spooktacular, if you ask me. Mm, Very scary, scary topics this week. Starting with the scariest topic, how are you? How am I? Um, So this week, I don't know, it's been very stressful with politics and just as we're heading into Q4 in the uh, heading into the holiday season, there's a lot of stress around supply chains and shipping and just logistics in general. So there's mm-hmm. a lot of pressure being put on companies to be able to produce and manufacture for the holiday season. Yeah, and it's that's rough. starting earlier this year. Yeah, it's like it was kind of always there, but now it's just getting worse because the case counts are going up again and the holidays are coming up and it's just an endless cycle of crap. Yeah. So with the election, the holidays and case counts, there's a lot of things into play as well as there's already been shortages across the country and across the globe as far as availability of certain products um, and and just like the general supply chain. And also the slowdown of shipping, such as like FedEx and USPS are experiencing heavy delays, um, and I can even say probably UPS as well. It's being felt across all the industries because we even DoorDashed something last night and it ended up at the wrong house, and I had to go do some trick-or-treating myself to go retrieve it very awkwardly from a house up the road. I had to go find the DoorDash order, but I did find it. So ironically, I had a package shipped to me from work last week via FedEx, and it was a computer. And I got a notification saying that my package had to been delivered. But however, I checked the door tag on the door and it said, sorry, we missed you. And then all of a sudden, like I checked out back and the computer was on my back porch and it looked like the neighbor had come and dropped it off. So FedEx actually like put the door tag on and then delivered it at a neighbor's house. Oh, that's fun. (laughs) Wow. And I was just like, whoa, uh, that's not okay. Yeah. That kind of happened to me, but sort of the inverse, where I did a on-the-go order pickup of my new phone from Verizon. So I come to the pickup spot, I park in the designated spot, and I had it all set up. 
And I park there and all of a sudden I get a notification saying, thanks for picking up your order. Your order is now complete. And I was like, I didn't do anything. I just parked. I don't have the new phone. Right. I'm not even, I'm like, I barely even turned the car off yet. And I like immediately panic. I started support chat. I was like, um, I just got a notification that the delivery was complete and it's not complete. I'm here. I need the phone. And they're like, oh, well, it says you already picked it up. Like, no. So, you know, it's just. Everything is just getting weird right now. It's anything shipping or picking up or anything having to do with receiving a physical product right now is a little bit dicey. Oh, absolutely. And like on top of the stress of all of that stuff, I think it's just like the not really being able to differentiate work and home life at this point because of the oncoming stress of the holiday season and so forth. I do feel like there's this impact of needing to put more hours in or feeling like work is kind of like a therapy but and in fact that's really quite the opposite is that more hours do not equal less stress exactly and uh, uh <laughs> i have no more words just uh so steve how are you feeling <laughs> let's um i don't know ask it's like ask me every 30 minutes how i'm feeling i don't know i'm mm. i took this upcoming week off for just you know for recharge and therapy and whatever reasons it was kind of like a spur of the moment i have this new thing about taking pto and i think i wish i had come up with this idea years prior where if i'm just having a bad day where i'm like just getting frustrated about literally anything that occurs or it's like someone's just pissing me off or it's just a whole bunch of frustrating, infuriating work with anything. I just kind of sit down and I open up uh, my PTO balance and I'm like, okay, let's maybe go about a week or two weeks down the calendar and let's put in for a week off. And I think I've done this twice now. The first time I did it was maybe the end of the summer. And I just did this again about two weeks ago and it's coming up now where I'm this upcoming week I'm taking off. I'm like, I should have done this a long time ago because I have a problem where I don't nearly take enough PTO. I end up banking way too much PTO where I'm working. And yeah, I think the ultimate goal here is we need to probably take more time off. You know, I know time Mm -hmm. off more or less means nothing if you don't go anywhere, but it's like, just try to focus on something else. I'm trying to just binge on varieties of different video games or just different things to do, trying to break out of my daily cycles of the same garbage every day and to try to do something slightly different even if it means like i don't know sit in a different chair or play a different game or something just something that makes it different you know yeah i think that's a really good point is that finding things to shake it up and finding some versatility i've even been thinking about that as well about how can i separate my my workspace and my personal space because i've been noticing like sleep interruptions and things like that because the spaces are very much the same as oh, far yeah. as, um, you know, my my fun time is now my work time and vice versa. And it's very hard to disconnect from that. I mean, I don't even want to play video games on my computer anymore because it's the same space I used to work all day. Yeah, that, that bothers me too. Luckily, I have, I mean, it's this, this really isn't, um, not everyone is this fortunate, but I have enough space in my house where I at least have like a room for gaming, a room for work and a room for sleeping, all three are, they can be entirely isolated from one another. My gaming PC is one of the PCs I use in the room where I work, and that is probably the one rule that gets broken where I do play games on that PC, and I will use that PC for worky things, and by worky things I mean appropriate things in the cloud and not PII-laden stuff, you know, it's the right divisions. 
But somehow it works for me, and I'm not sure how I managed to keep that split maintained in that one spot. But everywhere else, at least the physical separation, at least in the house, helps a lot. And this was a thing even before COVID. I know back in the day it was like, you know, don't don't uh, don't crap where you sleep. Don't work where you mm-hmm. do everything else because just psychologically it's just going to beat you up over time. Even if you don't think it will, it'll it'll catch up to you. Oh, it absolutely does. It, there's this thing I think called like COVID insomnia that is like hitting people. And it makes sense if you really think about it is that if you're I mean, if you look at like prisoners and stuff, they typically, you know, their space is where everything happens. And it, right. dra- it really does drive you insane. Yep, that is true. Yeah, that whole thing. So drink Ugh. lots of water, sleep if you can, and exercise. Do the do the prison routine. Get an hour of <laughs> exercise. Drink plenty of water. Keep keep your mind busy and maintained. Don't let it wander. And um, yeah, I don't know. It's all the same. Sometimes useless, sometimes useful advice that everyone always gives out. I don't have anything better to to offer. Nope, I, I'm in the same boat. It's just um. You have to keep on keeping on, uh, I believe, that was the Brady Bunch. Mm-hmm. <laughs> quoting quoting the, the Brady Bunch. Uh, my favorite 3x3 three three grid. Mm-hmm. Uh, Which, speaking of 3x3 three three grid, that has finally made its way. Yeah. Uh, was that a transition into Linode? I don't know if that was. <laughs> I, I don't actually know how that actually transitions into Linode at all. Okay. I... I but speaking of things. Speaking of three by three interruptions and things that never stop, let's talk about uh, open VPN scanning and TLS connection failures and failed attempts to get into my crap. And uh, spotlight on Linode specifically. I'm just in the mood to complain today, I guess. Yeah, I, go for it. I guess that's this where. Is... Yeah. So I've been noticing ever since I've set up my Raspberry Pi NAS and remote access via OpenVPN and slowly learning how stupid the internet can be when it comes to open ports and attacks and things being constantly monitored and attempting to be broken into or maybe just people poking their noses in the wrong places. I've noticed with Linode servers in particular, they seem to be the biggest offenders in my OpenVPN logs for failed connections. And I think I'm, I'm up to at least like 10, 11, 12 different IPs that just constantly try to get into my three Raspberry Pi sites with OpenVPN connections. I've asked Linode about this. I tweeted at them once. I said, what's uh, what's up with this? You know, are you guys being responsible in terms of keeping track of what's going on on your own nodes and networks? And are you like taking appropriate measures to like slap on the wrist people who are trying to do malicious activities? Like what kind of, what kind of policy do you have? So I gathered the IPs and they had, and they replied to me saying they had an abuse uh, reporting page and they said, just dump the IPs and put the logs and evidence that you have. So I looked through my OpenVPN logs. I was like, oh, yeah, I have the timestamps still. I have daily reporting scripts in my Raspberry Pis with the IPs. And usually what I have been doing before this is I'll look up the Aaron information, the who is information about these IPs. And I'll take the core, what do you call it, the core cider block of the IP. And I'll just block that entire range in my IP tables input table to make sure that it never comes back so it usually does a pretty good job at stopping the attacks but you know this is a constant it's a reactive process i have some scripts Mm -hmm. that use a blacklist from various sources to try to get ahead of it all but there's just some that just you know they just pop up literally on the day so i've been blocking them that way 
if it keeps happening, I've noticed a pattern. These a lot of these IPs are originating from Linode. So I reported them to Linode with the logs. I get one email response back from them saying, um, uh, hey, do you have any more evidence that these are these are coming in? Like, what more information do you have? And I, 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 I remember at that point, I just had it. I just replied. I said, why do you need more information? This is all I have. This should be enough for you to be able to at least trace those IPs, figure out what's going on. And if just if they are offending malicious actors or security researchers just tell them to knock it off i will block them still that's not going to change my opinion on that but it's like i think you should really take more responsibility as the provider the service provider to know what like strange activity is happening in your network and you should really be more proactive or at least have reporting or metrics on what's going on and i remember they didn't reply back to that to my challenge to that and then i filed a separate report maybe a couple of weeks later for just one one new ip and they actually did report back to me saying, oh, this this was a security researcher. You know, you can always uh, submit a blacklist request. And I said, like, what am I not doing? Like, what am I doing right now? I'm telling you about this right. IP. Lino, like, get it together. This is not, this is, I mean, okay, we'll back up this. In my, <laughs> in my opinion, this behavior is not acceptable. And being just very lackadaisical about it, being very laissez-faire is not, that's not something that should be considered the norm. That should not be an accepted reality of the internet here. We want people to be good citizens. We don't want just chaos to be the norm. Right. And that's just like frustrating anyways, because you have to live with it. Right. I don't know if those are actually malicious actors. And if they're security researchers, like, sure, like okay, I guess maybe one time, but it's happening a lot. I have, I have a freaking laundry list of all these Linode IPs. That's not to say it's not, you know, there's there's not other actors trying to do the same thing. None of them have ever gotten in. I have enough security with um, the CBA, the certificate-based authentication, as well as username and password auth. It's sort of like 1.5 factor authentication at that point. You can only mm-hmm. log in if you have the certificate that I've issued you from the server, and only then are you offered the ability to log in with the username and password. So it's sort of like almost MFA, but not quite, but it's secure enough. At least, right. particularly when I'm the security, I'm the certificate authority. So I know mm-hmm. only I'm getting in there. But it still bugs me that people still try to, you know, scan and attempt to get in in some way. That that's not okay. Ethically, we should really strive to do better. Right. And then not only does like that drive up your resources as well. Like that's just not okay. Right. So yeah, that's my that's my little rant. I'm kind of surprised at Linode for not taking a harder stance or not monitoring for this a little more. You know, having to be reactive instead of proactive in terms of just letting whoever, whatever customers run wild. I know Linode sponsors a lot of podcasts and they like people to use their stuff, but it's like, come on, be, be security minded. Right. It is national cybersecurity month, at least for the next uh, 12 or so hours. We're still, we're just getting in right before the end here. So let's, uh, yeah, let's be a little bit more security minded here and try to be better citizens of the internet here. Exactly. And I mean, no one likes, um, the sneakery of that type of thing it's not fun yes it's just like not cool not cool man not cool not cool not cool you know what else is not cool what is not cool the raaa yeah why is that they dmca'd the youtube dl github repository <gasps> so this what? this has been a huge mega mega drama on the internet and it has ripple effects for a lot of open source software and code, you know, so the RAA just sending DMCAs that are kind of bogus to people has been no no real new news. 
in the past, I don't know how many decades at this point. Mm-hmm. But taking down YouTube DL, a completely open source project that had no offending copyright infringing code, at least to my knowledge, aside from maybe one asterisk that they tried to take it down on a gotcha, that's just insanity. Mm. Where do you draw the line as to this is just a code project, doesn't offend anything, and then you try to make the argument of, oh, well, people use it to download copyrighted content. It's like, no, there's a definitive demarcation point where, yeah, <laughs> I'm, I'm talking in circles. This is, a lot of people so are what pissed. Is, so what is like the implications of this takedown? For stuff on GitHub, um, so far it seems like GitHub is just kind of rolling with it. The GitHub CEO did leave some commentary, but it was more or less uh, not a super hard stance. They were um, kind of more implying that it was not going to return. And uh, I had the quote, but um, it's escaping to me right now. Well, it looks like here, deciphering YouTube's rolling cipher in YouTube browser is a piece of cake. So the RIAA and other music groups recently accused YouTube DL and related stream ripping tools of circumventing YouTube's rolling cipher protection. Is it along the same lines? Um, or is this a different... Because it says these tools have legal uses, but they're also thrown on the side of the music industry outfits who see them as a major piracy threat. That was illustrated once again last week when the IRA takedown notice wiped YouTube DL off a of GitHub. Yeah, this is more or less the same thing. Okay, so it has to do with the rolling cipher. Yeah, I think that was the asterisk I think I was uh, mentioning mm-hmm. about. It should have really been, a, rather than taking down the whole thing, if they had a problem with a particular part of the repository. You know, file an issue, petition to have it removed. There is, There are pull requests. You could have done like a, hey, we're the RAA. Here's a pull request. Please remove the offending code and be mm-hmm. on your way. You don't nuke the whole repository. That's not okay. No. <laughs> That's not, not how okay. we, we, we don't do that here. That is not how we do things on the internet. Well, and that really like takes away from like the GitHub community of being able to have the open source and the sharing and the things that go along with github right you know this kind of more or less opens a pandora's box like well what else could what else is susceptible under these conditions then if one little piece of it offends then what else could be taken down as a result of this and Mm -hmm. it's like a precedent setting event exactly it's not great the github ceo is was supportive of youtube dl being restored but didn't seem to be taking all that super mm. hard of a stance but we'll see how it goes this could end in a happy ending but right now it's it's not been it's not been great it's not looking great yeah doesn't look like it's doing great speaking of that you mentioned it's national cyber cyber security month apparently i'm sounding like i'm from boston cyber cyber security mom the cyber uh, cyber cyber kid <laughs> kid your cybers you gotta <laughs> you gotta pay cyber attention kid. to your cybers <laughs> Secure your cyber kid. Uh-huh. As we've been discussing, lots of really great ways and things that are sort of happening. Just as people are staying home more, that doesn't mean you get more lax on your cybersecurity. No, yeah, this is um, this is definitely a time to tighten things up. Run as radio was talking about it said right at the beginning of the pandemic, it was kind of like more of like a, okay, we have a situation in the world that kind of transcends technology. We need to switch to an all work from home model. Let's just get that done any way we can. And then we'll try to think about security later. Well, we're about eight months past that. It's time to kind of come back to the security angle of things again. Mm -hmm. Because the attacks are not going to stop. We've been seeing 
even just this week, there's been a lot of ransomware attacks on healthcare industries right now. Kind of terrifying, to be a little bit honest. The uh, I think it was the Ryuk ransomware variant, I think. Mm-hmm. I don't remember if that's Emotet or not. I don't remember the be. name of it, but... Yeah, I thought it was Ryuk. That was an article I think I read yesterday. And they're coming in waves right now. I think they might be exploiting the zero logon. Uh, oh. I was hearing that being tossed around. I'm just doing this totally from memory. I don't remember if any of this is linked or not, but that's kind of the the big happenings right now in the cybersec world. I could imagine that being something that healthcare organizations aren't really focusing on is tightening up the security because they're just trying to do so much at one time. Yeah, I mean, even in normal conditions, healthcare IT or just health IT, hospital IT, that's always been kind of a hairy situation to begin with. Mm -hmm. They don't like to change stuff because it's hard to change stuff. You know, they have doctors that have plenty of lives to save all the time that never really ebbs it just always flows it's rough absolutely and yeah it but it's one of those areas that really does need to really see an improvement because there is customer or customer wow patient data and so forth that does need to be monitored yeah or the more like and protected or if connected technology is literally keeping people alive ransomware could be life or death sometimes for people we don't want that to exactly hinge on that well and it makes me a little bit nervous too about like these telehealth conferences um video chats that are taking place um are they taking place in the doctor's home it it makes you sort of wonder like that we're trusting these sort of connections that doctors are having over their own own home network potentially yeah you know home network uh what endpoint are they using are they doing this over zoom which has had its own security challenges in the past you know what platforms are they using are they fully patched up it's Mm -hmm. a lot of questions you know telehealth it's nice. It definitely keeps you safe in the physical medical realm, but in the technological realm, what if you got Zoom bombed and suddenly it's just, I'm just going to slurp up all your info about you medically that's sensitive mm-hmm. or whatever. It's scary. It is really scary. And it's just interesting to see how willing people are to just have these because they're desperate to have their healthcare accessible without being able to go into a doctor's office. But no one is really thinking about the implications of having their information just being passed through a regular, you know, home network. You know, now that I think of it, I think even like my own health provider, I don't think they even have MFA enabled. It's just username, and password, that's, login. And that's like, that's terrifying. That's great. You know, just chart data, just all there. No real, you know, you could crack a password depending on, you know, if you just have the right brute force attempts and if all you're really protected by is some kind of password of various questionable lengths, which I don't know everyone's going to have super secure or may the same password they've had for 20 years and they aren't prompted to change it regularly. Who knows? Right. No, that's really terrifying the more that we think about it and talk about it. Yeah. National Cybersecurity Month. It should really be every month at this point. I feel like we talk about security enough as it is. Why is it just a month? It should be <laughs> all the time. Yep. No, I agree. All right. Okay. So we're going to stop talking about a scary topic to me. So something <laughs> I found really, really cool is that it's totally off the off topic. And oh, it's not totally off topic. I came across this GitHub repository for a language called Arnold C. It's a programming language based on the one-liners of Arnold Schwarzenegger. 
This is, is so. This is hilarious. I love this. This is fantastic. I I love it. It's um talk to the hand. Hello world. Uh, you have been terminated, <laughs> and just stop mining and start coding. Here is my invitation. You are not you. You are me. <laughs> this is so good. Hey Christmas tree, you set us up. Hey Christmas tree, you set us up. <laughs> Enough talk. Get to the chopper. He had to split. Enough talk. Get down. Get to the chopper. <laughs> Enough talk. I'll be back. And of course, the program terminates with <laughs> terminates with hasta la vista, baby. <laughs> this is the best. I, I fully support this. This is on GitHub, and apparently, you can code C in Arnold Schwarzenegger speak, so to speak. Totally worth it totally worth it i'm just so happy that this exists that this does it's like out of all out of all like the most why does this exist things this is this ranks pretty high up there and why does this exist oh this is the best oh and the best part is that this person's twitter uh lori hartika is filled with lots of things and i just love this one meme that they have is solidarity is the worst form of smart contract programming language except for all the others (laughs) (laughs) i'm just like this is the best thing on the internet today the more I click into it, it looks like they're just—he's just aliasing uh, standard commands with uh, with Arnold quotes, which like, is uh, amazing. I mean, way to make programming fun. It's like, um, for example, greater than is let off some steam, Bennett, and then the or statement is consider that a divorce, and is knock knock. <laughs> That's so good. Return is I'll be back. Print is talk to the hand. <laughs> Uh, there's so many others. Uh, read integer. I wanted to ask you a bunch of questions and I want them to answer it immediately. False is I lied. True is no problemo. This is so good. And it looks like it was back. This was created in 2017. So we're a little late to the internet, but I'm so happy that I found this. It's okay. The last commit was only four years ago. So we, a That's little bit. That's all right. It's okay. I'm, I'm totally happy that like there are still good things in the world. And it's random languages. Just things to things to keep us occupied from worse exactly. things. Exactly. So on to that, we will go into our favorite topic, which is Microsoft Teams and all of the fun things that have come in October 2020 and the things that have not come that were promised and then delayed in typical Microsoft fashion. Things that we always, you know, half the time when I go back to our former podcast and i'll try to look at stuff that we talked about i have to like double check and i'm like did this actually get released they they said it was going to be released but did it actually get released i think it was the other day i was on the hope this helps and i was going to tweet our segment from a couple episodes ago about the external forwarding changes and part of me had this doubt in my mind is like did this actually roll out or anything just making sure because i don't want to seem like a complete idiot retransmitting this if microsoft actually about faced on this but I think they did, so at least, they at least did. that happened. I believe the only thing that they were really about faced on was for larger organizations that are going to kind of like send you like a, hey, we're doing this thing, uh, but for everybody else, we've done this thing. I yeah. think that was really the only change they had made. Other than that, it went live and no one died. Okay, someone may have died, but I don't know. Here are the things as soon as I can find them that came or are coming or something along those lines. 
in October 2020. It is now the 31st. Prevent attendees from unmuting in Teams meetings. Ooh. Finally! <laughs> All right. Yes, you can finally tell people to STFU and they'll stay STFU'd. Some people just need to be muted permanently. <laughs> <laughs> consider this. There, a, I said it. <laughs> consider this a warning. I will mute you and I will not unmute you if you, as my boss said, do not piss me off. To be fair, I think I think there was one meeting where I was like muted by the by the host and I was kind of like in my mind, I was kind of like, how dare you? Right. No, no. But like <gasps> as someone who will probably be muted at some point in time, here's my moment to seek petty revenge. Well, I think I think what made me mad about it was I have a hardware mute button on my mic, so I don't usually mute via the mute feature in either Ring Central or Zoom or Teams or whatever. I just hit the mute button on my mic. But people think that I'm not muting myself. So oftentimes if someone else is making noise or is running a vacuum cleaner or has a screaming child or a barking dog, they might think it's me because they see me as unmuted. And then I, and then it says, you have been muted by the host. I'm like, I didn't do anything. I was muted. I have a hardware mute button. So then you get perma-muted even though you've done nothing. Yeah. And I'm like, I've been just sitting here doing nothing. I was actually being a good citizen, just muting myself at the hardware level. Um, it's, it's weird how the culture of the mute icon sometimes can proliferate itself in meetings people will think oh you're unmuted you're gonna speak i'm like actually i just i'm just not talking how about we just go by whether or not i'm talking or not i also think that it does facilitate or promote the idea that you can just shut up the loud people too who may but like that doesn't stop me from yelling in chat right there's always chat i can i can visually make gestures or whatnot exactly. <laughs> or i'll just rage quit the meeting and you know what don't invite me again it's like what are you gonna do next just 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 blind me or like or right. like wipe wipe out my mm -hmm. webcam you know what? Don't don't invite me to your meeting because I don't want to come to it. Or they tell you, turn on your webcam. I'm like, okay, but I'll leave the cover on. It's the same idea. Exactly. Like, you don't get to see my face. Don't tell me what to do. Yeah. Microsoft whiteboard is going to be read-only mode. I honestly don't think I've ever used Microsoft whiteboard except for one time to draw some really ridiculous chart that no one really paid attention to. So I don't think since then I've ever <laughs> used it. I have used Microsoft whiteboard only a few times. One was at Microsoft Ignite when I went into the Surface area to demo the Surface uh, Studio and the Surface uh, Hub. What was the easel Surface? I forget. The, the Surface Hub. Was that the Hub? Yeah, the one with the huge, yeah. hu the huge, comically large like pen for that one. I remember I was yep. just like I was writing stuff, and I remember it was funny because I own a Surface and I have a smaller Surface pen. I I taught the person demoing it that there were some hidden features of the pen where if you flip it over, it'll become an eraser. You know, like an actual pencil. And they didn't know that. And they're, they're watching me just like school them in whiteboard just with the eraser feature. I'm like, look at that. You don't have to go and poke the eraser icon. Just flip the pen over. It has a capacitive point on the back that the Surface knows about. And they're like, oh. Yeah. No, I, I totally. I, I think whiteboard is a great feature and has great functionality. But I don't know. I'm just like I'm struggling with it um, as far as I, it's not yeah. a physical whiteboard to me. And maybe someday I'll I'll be able to jump on that. Yeah, it's um the way I imagine whiteboard other than just drawing random things in it for fun is that it's kind of like, you know, how OneNote has a drawing feature, but it's not super readily accessible and almost no one really uses it, especially not in a collaborative setting. Whiteboard is more dedicated drawing to be an actual whiteboard. I always imagined, I was like, it would be nice if it was a tab in Teams, because we're always looking for ways for public collaboration documentation. 
in a tool that we already use that we don't have to tell people to go to blah, blah, blah.microsoft.com. Instead, we just say, hey, let's open this tab in Teams that's already there. Just click it. You already have the permissions in it if you can access the team and go nuts. Here's our whiteboard. I think that mm-hmm. might be the angle they might be going for because I know I've, I've kind of wanted whiteboard functionality in Teams for a while now. Yeah. No, it's in there. It just has to be on. Ha- there's a license for it. Mm-hmm. So meeting and calling recordings stored in OneDrive and SharePoint. I don't know if you're familiar with the recording functionality. If you don't have Microsoft mm. Streams licensing applied, it actually stores the video, the recordings in the Azure Media s- Services, but it's really funky how it works. You can't share externally, neither can you with streams. So streams is like a all internal. So I've on many occasions have been asked, like, how do I share this externally? Or what can I do with these? How do we get retention on these videos? And there was really no good solution before. Like, so you could control it with Microsoft Streams and blah, blah, blah. Admittedly, it's a very confusing concept to explain to users. It's like, hold on, we're going to set up this whole very complicated thing that's not really complicated, I assure you. And but you can only share it internally. Or if you we don't have a streams license on, then you can download it for 20 days and save it to your local machine. But then there's no really. Yeah. It's it's like really complex. And this is really stupidly complicated. Yeah, this is dumb. Right. So the ability to save those call recordings to OneDrive for Business or SharePoint is huge. So now you can add compliance controls. And it looks like this is parts of it going to be rolled out in early Q4 and then the rest of it in mid Q4. That is pretty exciting considering now you can update the policies and really control how users are sharing. Because how many of us have external presenters that come in and now you want to share the recording and you can't. So. I might have partially run into maybe a snag with this recently. I was in a meeting where we wanted to record it just for record keeping purposes. And I remember I think we recorded it, but we couldn't download it after it just aired out on us. So I don't know if that had to do with maybe the streams, uh, the stream licensing or something. I didn't dig that heavily into it. I just remember it just kind of aired out on us for some reason. So if the video air- errors out on the recording session, give it time because sometimes it takes out a if you don't have a streams license and it's using the Azure media services, then it's going to take, uh, it can take, depending on how large it is, up to 24 hours for the video to render and be downloaded. And then you have 20 days from that point to download it locally to your machine. Okay, that's possible. I think mm-hmm. we ended up uh, agreeing as a group that we were not going to save that recording anyway, because I think we were doing a QA session for, I was I was helping the dev team out with something. And I think they said, we're going to actually look to delete this recording because we mistakenly exposed an API key in the recording. So we don't want people to oh, see okay. that. So I think that's, that's what ended up happening. Totally understandable. And then some quick ones, updated functionality for downloading participant reports, and then changing an incoming IP video policy, um, updating the meeting policies to allow IT administrators more control over how a video is managed. I've seen it where the video really does impact bandwidth and does cause a lot of lagging. 
the hope is that you have tunneling if you're using VPN if mm-hmm. and then sending all your media traffic out. But for people who have really bad networks at home, this video can like lag the whole meeting and cause havoc for everybody. There was a problem I had during the earlier days of the pandemic. I think my, my internet reliability has gotten a little bit better since then, but it was really bad for me for a while. I was suffering with Teams meetings in particular. Mm -hmm. With one particular bug where if someone called me, not if I called them, if they called me, my entire internet would drop for about two minutes. I've never seen a bug like that before. I was like, how do I lose internet in my entire house when someone calls me in Teams? So I tell them, I said, I I tell them, please don't call me. I'll call you. Otherwise, I lose my internet. It's really frustrating. And one of the things that you can do is your administrators can really um, hone in on QoS, uh, so quality of service. If you are using internal, so and really just like honing in as to where the call problems are and using some of those tools that are available. So to move on, there are some cool changes that are being added to devices. So ARM64 native team app. So if you're using ARM devices, so now the team. But however, I will make a quick complaint. I wish that Teams for Mac OS would actually work before they went and made ARM apps. Yeah, you gave me an idea now that they're speaking of ARM64 compatibility and how crappy and awful and terrible the uh, Electron app is on all platforms, because I will speak against it for Windows. It is terrible. I use the web app in Firefox now because of just how CPU and RAM hungry the actual dedicated app is. But since you said ARM64 compatibility, that got that got me to thinking, got my got my got my old brain going. <laughs> Fired it up. <laughs> Why doesn't Microsoft just turn Teams into like a Docker container or make a deployable instance that way? That way it's like you could have it be uniform across every platform. You have your ARM compatibility, you have your Linux compatibility. You don't have to necessarily rely on an Electron app. Or if you do, you could have it containerized. I feel like you could. There, there, I see. I see like solutions here. I see ideas for improvement for Teams or some kind of next generation way of deploying it, as opposed to all these like platform exclusive or native or unique uh, situations. And then we wouldn't have a problem where like in Firefox, I can't place or receive a call in the freaking web app because Microsoft won't support the Gecko engine. They only will support like Chromium and Edge and Safari or whatever, but won't treat Firefox like an equal citizen. I have several problems with the way Teams is not equally deployed across all platforms. That's a really good point. And maybe that's what they were hoping for with the Electron app, but it's just really heavy. It's just super, super heavy. And uh, more on that, maybe less of a Docker container, even maybe like a progressive web app, which is kind of the next Mm -hmm. generation way of deploying apps that work on mobile as well. Yeah, they're called progressive web applications, PWAs. It's like, why not experiment with that? You know, I feel some kind of, it would be cool to see some kind of evolution on how Teams is deployed or how apps are deployed. I know Microsoft had recently gotten into some slight hot water for apparently experimenting with deploying Office as PWAs on the newest version of Windows 10. And they rolled it back. They stopped doing it after uh, they got some articles written about it. People complaining about these randomly showing up in their system unsolicited. But it's like, why why not do that with Teams? You know, make it a PWA. Mm-hmm. I, I absolutely 100% agree. I would love to see a more streamlined approach to it as they are with Outlook. So the Outlook for Mac preview is now out for everybody for general. There's some really great things that they've now taken. It now directly connects to Exchange Online versus using the crappy old 
old methods where you could only be limited in functionality. However, my biggest complaint with the Outlook for Mac is that the basic features are not yet baked into it, such as shared mailboxes and the ability to share calendars or see shared calendars. However, they tote that you can see group calendars, but the world is not progressively ready for just group calendars. We are still sharing individual calendars. We are still using shared mailboxes. So for Peak's sake, please have that capability sooner than later. Yeah. Some places are even still using public folder calendars. Exactly. So taking away <laughs> this main functionality and then claiming that it's closer to the Windows app than it ever has been is complete BS. BS. <laughs> Total BS. I'm going to move on just because I could rant about it for days, yeah. uh, but I do recommend giving the new Outlook a shot. I know that a lot of my team really loves it and they really love the new changes to it. However, I'm still a huge fan of the Windows version. Maybe it's because I'm just familiar with it, but I feel like it can do everything. So I believe it's called New Outlook for Mac and it, they just went into general. It was currently on the fast preview track. Uh, and the slow preview track so you could then download it but now it is available uh, general preview so you can switch the toggle and you can see the new look ui it's very pretty functionality garbage <laughs> <laughs> yeah as with, as with quote-unquote new the new quote-unquote experience for whatever yeah it takes a little while to get one-to-one -one. that happened with oa for the longest time you had the old medium and new OAs for a while. Mm -hmm. We actually ran into an issue very recently where I had to find out how to actually load an old version of OA for O365 because um, do you remember light mode for OA way back in the day? Oh, oh, a light. That, that would break mm. everything. Yeah. So we had a situation where we actually needed that. And OA light basically doesn't exist anymore in the modern OA. If you know the right URLs, you can actually invoke an older version of OA from like maybe 2015 to 2017 or so. And that gives you the option to then dive into the old legacy settings panel to enable light mode, which you can then get to, which is the old mode. And that seems to work a little better for some older screen readers and accessibility things that the new OA hasn't quite matched one-to-one -one yet. But sometimes you kind of need to do that. It's really, really kind of weird, mm -hmm. kind of funky. That's definitely how I feel about the whole thing. Yeah. Anyway, sorry not to derail you. Oh, no, no. <laughs> there, there was one feature of Teams in this article. I don't know if, you, uh, if we missed it or not, but it says you can spotlight an individual video participant for all attendees. Imagine if you're just not ready for this. And That's what like, I was gonna, that was going to be my next one. Let's go. Hey, Steve. <laughs> you know, it's like being called upon in school when you're not oh, ready. Oh, no, yeah. But now you get the whole spotlight on your video. Imagine if, like, you're picking your nose. And that's oh, man. <laughs> my, my worst fear, you have a wireless headset. You, you go on mute and, like, uh, you just run over to the bathroom or something. You can hear people. They can't hear you, obviously. You don't want them to hear you pooping. Um, and they all of a sudden they spotlight you, and it's like, where'd you go? Oh, no. And then you have to admit, like, oh no, it, it's so embarrassing because, like, on multiple occasions, like, I'll just leave my headset in because I just wear a Bluetooth headset. My like, AirPods, yeah, same. My earbuds. Wow, <laughs> that's a movie. <laughs> There's been some days where I take the gamble, where it's like I've just had a string of meetings in a row, and another meeting is starting, and it's sort of in that that warm up period where people yeah. connect and they go, "Hey, how you doing?" And at that point, I'm usually I'll stay, I'll keep my webcam off, I'll stay muted, but I'll have my headset on. And I'll maybe go run downstairs or to the bathroom or yeah. something. And I'll like have the wireless headset on and I'll go in and all of a sudden, and it, it never fails. If I sit there and don't do anything, 
They won't talk to me. They won't even notice I'm there. If I run to the bathroom, stay muted, stay webcam off, but I can still hear everything they're saying, I go, hey, Steve, how you doing? I have all these quick questions for you. I'm just like, ah. Yeah, on multiple occasions... I have um, been worried that I'm not on mute. Oh, yeah. That's always fun, too. <laughs> I'm just like, oh, no. Like, what if someone hears me peeing and then they call out on me <laughs> and I'm going to be so embarrassed? Yeah. It's like, because like, um, I have like the Sony the Sony WH-1000XM3. Yeah. I know it has a microphone on it, but it, the microphone doesn't work that well with Windows. And I use the Yeti for all my meetings anyway. So I never have this mic selected, but I'm always kind of something in the back of my mind. I'm like, oh, this, this is really going to be bad if uh, this somehow gets it's picked up in a meeting. No, I agree. It's always so embarrassing. I'm like, oh no, what if I forgot to mute and now they can hear me? And I'm like, oh no, this is so awful. And then I'll panic. And then it just like actually prolongs the whole process because now I'm like, I'm taking forever now because <laughs> like now I'm anxious that I'm not on mute. Yeah. It's, it's so the, awful. It's the meeting gamble. Yeah. So I'm going to skip over the Dell meeting space because I don't care about it. I, I don't either. <laughs> why, 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 why is Dell making meetings? So what? No. Why? Yeah. I don't care. And honestly, like as far as headsets go, I know Teams is like getting these certified ones, but I'm not going to lie. I have, I don't feel like anyone gives a sh- as sugar honey iced tea about it. <laughs> I really, I honestly have not met anyone in any organization I've worked for where they're like, oh, we have to get a Teams approved headset. I'm sorry, Microsoft. People want to have the, they want to use their AirPods. They just want to. I'm sorry. Use the equipment you got and no one's in offices anymore. So what is this equipment for? Who is this right, equipment they wanna, for? They want to use the headsets that they're comfortable with and that they feel enhances their work experience so i'm not gonna be like oh you can't use it you have to use this logitech blah 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 most people are like i don't i don't care i use my mac speakers and my yeah. computer speakers that reminds me of um someone was talking about like the importance of audio quality and it was really ironic because i think the person speaking was like using the speaker phone mic on their laptop and like no headphones so i'm just like this is really ironic you're talking about audio quality and the importance of good equipment and you're using like the default crappy not good quality input and output devices on your computer yeah it's like please please don't talk about it because you don't know what you're talking about i personally try to make sure i'm i'm podcast quality and mics it does give you a more professional aura to yourself you know people if you sound like a lawnmower is in the background or there's screaming or anything people are kind of not going to take you as seriously or think your your head's not in the game as much and i feel like the dedication to good hardware needs to be there i absolutely agree with that And as much as I'm on board with a team certified headset, it's just really hard to get buy-in from people. Yeah, but just make sure you have good, you're using good audio and test when able and just ask people if you sound okay. Nothing Mm -hmm. is worse than just trying to deal with someone who's echoing and feeding back and everything you say is just feeding back into your own speakers and you just hear yourself five times when you say a word and it disrupts your ability to speak then. Yep, exactly. Mm. Some really exciting new things on the chat and collaboration side are pinned posts. Finally, I can finally say, hey, finally, you know how many times like I've wanted to pin a post in a channel because I want it to be Ooh, like yeah. the top of it. And then it's just like, oh, I can save it for myself. But that means nothing. 
Yeah, I think Slack has had this feature since forever. So this is just a catch up feature to Slack. Right. And it's so obnoxious. Like we have like a women's in network channel. And when I was first added to it, it's called Winds. And I was like, what is this Winds channel? And why am I in it? Like, is like, why is it only exclusive to certain people? I'm like, how did how did I get into it? And someone had to explain to me that it was the women's in network channel. And I was like, oh, that uh... someone should probably say that before inviting to channel yeah. or to team and they're like well we would really like to post to pin a post to like say what we're about and i was just like when are you coming because i was very confused yeah um there's a feature it's not in this article but i read about it this morning there's it's coming soon they're going to be including either the ability to reply to individual messages in a chat thread just like in the group chats or you can quote the messages at the very least that way you know if it's you're just in a very busy like five person group chat and you wanted to reply to something someone said maybe 10 minutes ago, but the conversation focus and subject has changed, it's hard to say, hey, remember that message you sent a while back? Now you can, apparently it's in the works that you can either quote the message or reply to it, and it will trace itself back to that thread. Just like in Slack, how you, in Slack you can start a thread on any message that comes in. I don't know why Microsoft doesn't just implement that, but baby steps, I guess. Yeah, reply to a message was one of the best things that ever happened to messaging. And now it's on iMessage too. So I'm so excited about that. Oh, that's right. I have, I still haven't updated to iOS 14 yet. I'm still, I'm taking the approach that I do with patch management where I'm just staying back a little bit just to let the bugs all iron themselves mm -hmm. out. I think this year I'm just waiting for my phone to actually manually come up, say, okay, it's time to update to iOS 14 when it just checks for the update on its own. I know I could do it myself manually, but I'm just like, eh, I'll just wait. That's understandable. No hurry there. And then I kind of get by the initial zeitgeist of everyone updating. And then if I do have a problem, there's been plenty of people already, they've already experienced it and the problem's already been solved. There's plenty of articles. I don't know. I'm getting old. I don't update immediately anymore. That's fair. I just did because I wanted some of the features. New offline presence. This was one of my favorite ones in Skype. I don't know. Oh. I just really like the idea of um, appearing offline, even though I'm online. <laughs> yes. This is the invisible <laughs> setting, right? Yes. Because sometimes yeah. you just want to be invisible and do not disturb is not enough. Yeah. I, I miss this feature. Um, I use it in Steam all the time and any other chat program that you know it's nice to have and it was in Skype for business and it's nice to see this kind of make a comeback right because it's like I'm here but I'm not like I still want to appear I don't know about you but like being green yellow or red doesn't mean anything to anybody in teams no it doesn't it means that you're online you get bombarded and if anything for me if I'm red on teams people seem to message me more like hey I have an urgent thing for you hey I need you for this hey I have a question for you Hey, Steve, got a, got a sec? Hey, got a sec for a quick call? Mm -hmm. does, does, does the red mean nothing to you? Do I look like I have a second? I don't. Busy means busy or in a meeting or presenting. Right. I'm not here. So you know what's the next logical step? Appear offline. Go exactly. invisible. <laughs> but somehow I feel like people are still going to be like, hey, you online? No. Do I look like I'm online? I'm not online. I'm not here. Or you confuse them and say, no, I'm here. And they're like, what? What? Before it was kind of possible with some AD trickery, at least back in the Skype for Business days, I think some of us would do that on our team when we were new. And it was like, we want to make sure you work in peace. You don't get bombarded. So we're going to screw with your account a little bit to make it look like mm -hmm. you're never online. I do remember that. Such good days. Yeah. But now it's officially supported. You don't have to do any strange hacks to make this make this be a thing. Finally. I'm so excited. It's finally, that's great. That's, that's finally really great. a thing. Uh, 
Yeah. So good stuff. Language of wear proofing, uh, templates for creation of new teams, new file sharing experience. I honestly don't know what this means. Team members share and work together on content from a single source of truth seamlessly with Microsoft Teams. You can now create a shareable link for any file stored in Teams directly with the appropriate... I really thought that you could do this the whole time. This this is not... <laughs> I don't understand. This is not a new feature. This has always been a thing. I think this, or, they made... They made the UI better, but no, this has always been a thing. You yeah, can share may- a OneDrive yeah, maybe, document. Maybe it's just like some people didn't know that you could do this and it wasn't like well advertised or as you said, it looks like they made the UI better, but I've never had an issue with sharing and collaborating documents in Teams. It, yeah, and I mean, they'll share a link or we will <laughs> completely ignore it and completely pass around an Excel document. I don't know. It's nice. Um, it's, I don't know what kind of problem it's attempting to solve, but okay. Yeah. Yeah. Thing that was already there is being made better. Yeah. I'm trusting, I'm having struggling. I'm struggling to understand what that is as well. I mean, there's a lot of other functionality that is coming but i think what i'm more frustrated with is that the breakout rooms functionality is still not here and is not slated to come out until november and it's just like come on you've been piloting it in education since the summer and this is one of the selling points that is really getting on people's nerves is they want to be able to have these giant meetings and be able to have breakout rooms and get everyone back together. And this BS solution that they've come up with, like having people go in and out of channels, is really confusing to users. You can pretend that it's not all you want, but it is. Yeah, and I can speak to that a little bit. You know, like Zoom's had breakout rooms and they've had no problem implementing it. They've been using it for, I know, particularly for education and teaching. They do breakout rooms all the time. Teams is weird. It's, because you can have you can have a like a stand up meeting or a breakout. Not they're not calling it breakout. They're calling it just uh, like a huddle. A huddle. It's weird because it shows us like a chat item with a join button, and it's not like super clear. Because I got pulled into one once, and I didn't know it was even a thing until I clicked into the chat and saw there was a big purple box that said join, and it was like a call, and I was like okay uh interesting but it didn't like notify me in any other way yeah no it's really weird so <laughs> moving on i'm gonna move on from the sure. teams updates just because yeah. they're long and we could go on forever but one more thing mm. on teams before i forget is now there are 115 million users daily so that is a lot of people a lot of people that is a lot of people that was like something that came out earlier this week big news However, I really don't care that much as long as the service keeps running and I don't have to hear users complain. I'm okay. Yeah. Fix the Electron app and please one-to-one 100% functionality in Firefox. That's, that's, that's the next priority. That's the next action item I'm assigning to Microsoft. So true. Mouse and trackpad support for iPad. We, yay. I, Finally I for Microsoft Office. <laughs> so that is good. I just got the Magic Keyboard for my iPad Pro. So I really like the key, the trackpad on it. It's very tiny, um, but I have tiny hands, so I'm not so upset about it. But having the trackpad... <laughs> What? You I tr- tried? No, I, I, I tried to use an iPad as a computer, and I got immensely frustrated with it, and I I have a Surface now. <laughs> I am such a lame, uh, regular computer user in my spare time because I, I have, like, this general rule of, like, once I'm done with work, like, I forget how to computer, and... <laughs> 
So like I become stupid on purpose. I'm a little similar where if my workflow got changed just just enough. Um, I think it was like the other day I had to go into the office for something. It was an approved office visit and I brought my work laptop. I was going to like open my email and do a task that I do every day normally. But the fact that like I had my work laptop and like a different keyboard and a different mouse and a different dock, I suddenly was like, wait, how do I get to the thing that I got to? And it's weird because like I used to do this every day because when I was going into the office every day and it's just weird how disrupted I got. So yeah, I totally get that I become a very stupid person with computers if my surroundings change on me or my workflow changes. Yeah, no, it's um, much better that way. All right. So we're going to get out of the boot up and finally into some content. Um, it's not really a lot of content, but cybersecurity fail of the month, Nintendo. I feel like we constantly talk about Nintendo and their constant failures to really keep up with the times. Yeah, well, I mean, it's kind of deserved. This one is stupid. This one, um, this came up, uh, I actually had this topic written out a couple of months ago. And never got around to it till just now, but I figured, hey, National Cybersecurity Month, let's uh, let's let's find a reason to lump this in. Nintendo's official guidance on setting up uh, port forwarding for a Nintendo Switch console is rather absurd. For their port forwarding guidance, they say, please enter the starting port and the ending port to forward. For the Nintendo Switch console, this is port one through sixty-five thousand five hundred thirty-five. That is pretty much almost every common port as well as any other port you can think of and holy moly this is guidance for like if you needed to set a static ip or if you had a dhcp with reservations and somehow needed to do port forwarding on your enterprise network for a nintendo switch console for whatever reason so you could play your splatoon or smash brothers but their official guidance is open up all the ports just open them all up nintendo uses them all port 80 port 443 telnet ssh you name it nintendo uses it and they can't tell you which one they're going to use because it's apparently unpredictable. And open up all your ports, Nintendo says. It's been kind of ridiculed across a lot of networking and security forums, particularly Reddit. And uh, a lot of people say, like, please answer at the bottom of their KB article, is this answer helpful? Answer no and say, are you insane? I'm not opening up 65,534 ports on my network. No, Ever. that sounds insane. Ever. That just sounds absolutely nuts. Even if it's just for one IP, like Nintendo, come up with a better better system that's more secure than this. That is un... Uh, uh, oh. Yeah, no, that's not cool, Nintendo. You can't just open up all your ports. People buy things on the Nintendo eShop with credit card information. There's PII exchanges. There's account info, uh, Nintendo accounts. This is not... <laughs> uh, this is... I understand Nintendo's not exactly an enterprise tech company, but please do better than this. This is Microsoft has the Xbox. They do it right. They're not asking you to open up every port under the sun to play your games online or do anything, really. Uh, it's funny at the top, they're like, hey, uh, while we do tell you to open up all your ports, it's up to the consumer to determine what security needs they have. They're partially aware of this, but this, isn't, this is stupid. Really dumb. Nintendo, your cybersecurity month point of improvement assignment for this year or however long it takes you to come up with this is please please uh, update this guidance and assign a specific port for activities and not just anything right no that's absolutely like what ports are you actually using and not the whole world of ports yeah, side note i've had a lot of problems in nintendo servers lately just <laughs> completely off the cuff off topic random tangent here i've been i uh i picked up splatoon 2 on a sale and oh i saw your tweet about this i mean i've played splatoon 1 it's a pretty fun game it's got 
quality of life problems that still weren't ever fixed from the first one. But man, just trying to get into a match, so many errors, so many drops, so many times you load into a game and like only two people have connected and everyone else disconnected. This is (laughs) Nintendo, please fix this. People pay for this service. This is not good service quality. No, not at all. Anyways. So yeah, so we have yeah security and functionality problems at Nintendo, but yeah. Yeah. All right, so I will let you get into your state of this union first before we go on to an org stretch structure rant. Oh, sure, that's fine. Well, yeah, this mm-hmm. one's quick. So this is the state of the union for October thirty first, twenty twenty. We might as well have one last state of the union before our next election to to discuss our IT deep state of the zunes. And this act- this topic actually has pretty much nothing to do with the zune. It's just kind of a cousin of the zune. We have a sad thing to report that Google Play Music is no more. It has, after nine years of life, wonderful life, it has been killed off in favor of YouTube music. We briefly spoke about YouTube music in the past. I initially had a couple of issues with YouTube music transferring my Google Play Music library into it. I thought it actually lost all my music. Turns out it didn't. It switched to a Google account of mine that I wasn't expecting it to transfer to, which was uh, a little annoying, but I it's fine. I'm over it. Mostly because I'm not really going to use YouTube Music, I don't think. It's just not the same as Google Play Music. It kind of doesn't have nearly as many menu options or features. Uh, The downloading functionality is weird and buggy compared to Google Play Music. And worst of all, when it tries to play songs, it tries to source from your YouTube likes and other things you've done on YouTube, not just purely your music. So I'm kind of just like, I'm hard out with this. It's not the service that Google Play Music was. It's not the excellent, like, local, offline-only download music system that it was, and I'm just sad that Google Play Music is gone and replaced with what I see as an inferior service that's tried to design to sell subscriptions as opposed to play your music and was what I thought was a worthy successor to the Zune until now. I really liked Google Music, and it's funny because one of my friends the other day was panicking because she thought all of her music was gone. And I really struggled with finding it on YouTube music or whatever they're calling it. At the same time, I sort of just, for lack of better words, pretended like she didn't say anything about it. Because I was like, I I don't want to help you in the worst kind of way. (laughs) Oh, my God. I just realized. Sorry. I just realized at the top of this Ars Technica article, the the, the, the subheadline is I'm switching to Zune, and I didn't even see that till just oh. now. <laughs> it's like they knew we were going to do this topic. That's hilarious. Oh, my God. I'm switching oh. to Zune. Oh, this is perfect. The stars have aligned with this topic. This, this is, is so good. Oh, my God. Well, I can tell you the Zune software has officially outlasted Google Play Music because that still works, and you can still use it with your Zune. And syncing, and I mean the Zune marketplace is gone, and the the Zune uh, achievements and profile and social system are gutted. But the core syncing still works, and you can convert videos if you use an external converter, or we use Windows Seven or whatever. So yeah, I think the Zune basically outlived Google Play Music. That that is really uh, sad. I just really loved the Google Music beta, and everyone was like, "Is this even legal?" It was yeah, it was really it was questionable. so awesome though. It was so awesome. They just said, "Just upload all your stuff." And we're like, okay. And apparently there was like a, there was like an alert, not an alert. It was a thing at the bottom of some page. I had never seen it before until long after Google Play Music was gone. It was like, you must have all, you must have acquired your music legitimately. And I was like, but what does that mean? MP3 is just a file format. It will literally ingest anything you throw up that has a .mp3 extension. So what does that mean? 
it's weird how they got around the legal loopholes for this and it's still kind of baffling to this day as to how exactly they pulled it off yeah no it was really impressive and i'm really sad that it's gone i i just liked it because i could get my own local libraries to like a phone or some device and play it that way without having to worry about transferring it manually it was mm-hmm. just kind of a central online repository it was kind of like what the zune could have been really but right it, it was like the evolution of zune and now i really don't like youtube i'm sorry i'm not a, yeah ugh, i i don't know if it's like youtube is just it's like the amount of ads you get on everything with youtube now um if you're not watching it on like something with adblock and firefox like if you're trying to watch it from like an ios device or mobile you just get peppered with ads and it's a lot of ads too they recently like upped the amount of ad content per video and it just it's tiresome because they want you to subscribe they want you to buy their subscription service and pay to have the ad free experience and it's like come on this is is not what youtube used to be This is not like the whole goal and purpose of it. And it's like, Google, I'm getting sick of you. (laughs) Like, I'm just getting sick of your nonsense. Google annoys me. Yeah, I'm... I, I keep looking to to library LBRY as like the spiritual successor to YouTube someday, maybe, but I don't Probably really, not. my days of being a YouTuber are kind of gone. I had a YouTube account in 2006 and I uploaded videos to YouTube in 2006. I have several videos that almost have a million views. Holy moly. From, from way back in the day. I'm talking like, not like the professional YouTube era from like 2007. Yeah. I'm talking about the old school days of YouTube. I have my very old YouTube channel has a bunch of legacy videos, which have uh, yeah, it's it's nearing millions of views, but it's like I'm from that era, so I'm just like so seeing what what it's become now. I'm just like, ugh, I right. I'm just out. That that's the era that I came from back where you really had the create the ability to be creative, like a creative person, and not have like this full on. It's just total garbage. Like n- like we didn't have the full on like production quality stuff that like people have now and it's just like kind of takes away from it it takes away from like the whole experience yeah i mean i shot videos with some we had like a sony camera that was primarily for photos but it happened to shoot like 20 fps video and i got six six to seven figure views on videos from back from with that back then so it's like people always talk about like Oh yeah, I joined YouTube in like 2010, 2011, got a montage. I'm like, no, you, you, you ain't nothing. You, you, you know the true days of YouTube. The original right? It's ones. like you don't even know what you're talking about, bro. Like, don't, don't even, <laughs> don't even. Yeah. Anyways, yeah. So YouTube, uh, YouTube's been disappointing. I, uh, I'm not really planning on using YouTube Music. No. It has some. If you know where to click around, it can basically do more or less the same things with the local libraries of Google Play Music that you transferred in. But I'm just not really super interested at this point. No, it was I'm not a good, ready for that world. It was, it was a good time to kind of disconnect from Google from mm-hmm. that regard, at least. So I'm just using that. I'm taking that opportunity at this point. It comes at a good time where I've set up like my own remote NASs with exclusive VPN access. So I could actually set up my own self-hosted music repositories. And using Docker containers, there's certain mm-hmm. music web portals you can set up. So I can kind of just roll my own at this point, I think. Google Play Music was nice before I knew how to do all that and they were offering it. But now it's like, I know how to roll it myself and I can just go my own way. You can go your... Anyways. We can Fleetwood Mac it. Yeah, we can Fleetwood Mac it all day. So Mm -hmm. our last topic of the day is one of our absolute 
favorite ones to talk about and we're coming back to itil is itil we love it very much um i actually don't know how much we love it but yeah it's okay it's okay it, it it's one of those things that you hate and you hate to love it. I resisted it for the longest time in 2010 when I was a student in college. I thought it was the stupidest, most bureaucratic thing ever. And now that I'm in a larger org, I do understand its benefits and I kind of get it now. Um, it has its place. Uh, it doesn't work for every org. If you're smaller, it kind of that's where you can kind of think it's kind of useless. But it's it has its it has its nice uh, perks if you uh, know how to leverage it. Yeah, no, it's um definitely been useful and i think it's shaped a lot of how i it now it shaped how i do it as well um i kind of live and die on uh change requests incidents regular service requests knowledge management yeah it kind of changed me i went from the the not rogue but the you know the, rebellious definitely like i like how i do it you know before my current job the change request used to be i'd re- yell down the hall to the other two guys in the it department and say hey i'm about to make this uh update patch go out in the server might reboot might be down for a while if anyone asks just tell them i'm working on it and they go okay can't quite do that in a larger corporate no. place where you have itil you got to do a change request it's got to be a Approved by the board of stakeholders, it gets run through the gauntlet of should you make this change? Is it okay? You do it at this date and time, and if it goes wrong, it's okay. It's not your fault. We approved it, and we have your back, but we're going to have a post-implementation review about it. So on that topic, I have been doing a lot of reading about the future of IT org structures and sort of like these processes involved with it, and a lot of them are ITIL-based. Are, whether they like it or not, how these articles are written and how they sort of read is very ITIL focused. And one of the interesting things that keeps popping up is the idea of an infrastructure and operations team, because that team doesn't actually go away, but the functionality of it does vastly change. And I think that's very difficult for smaller organizations that are growing into enterprise that have traditional infrastructure people on the team who there's no longer a server or data center presence on premise and it's sort of being able to shift into that cloud world and as a sysadmin who has worked on a traditional infrastructure team one of the interesting things that pops into my mind is how do you build a role in an organization around the growing platform when you have developers and devops and all these teams who now want to build out their own stuff how do you enable them and then also keep your infrastructure team current and still basically having a job yeah that's a that's a valid question yeah and especially with the lines being blurred where you have things like your configuration becomes your infrastructure infrastructure Mm -hmm. is code like say you're in azure and you're deploying vms with json well json they're just configuration files they're programming-esque things Your apps and DevOps team might also do the same thing for their web apps, which may not necessarily be a server thing, but suddenly it's like the same kind of configuration-oriented infrastructure. So do you want to keep those merged? Do you want to put it all together? You know, because you can use ADO, Azure DevOps, and change uh, version control and all that. So what the strategy is, what do you separate? What do you keep together? Because then when you start thinking about it, you're like, we're all just editing JSON files and deploying them now. <laughs> exactly. And it's like, are how we truly... do you divvy up the work now? Yeah. Are we truly a server team anymore? Are we an ops team? We're an apps team. Like, what are we? It kind of 
ask those fundamental existential questions nowadays. Mm -hmm. And it's difficult because you do have to keep, and one of the biggest things is keeping your infrastructure and operations team up to date on the current technology. Because as soon as they start falling behind, you're going to start running into issues with not really needing them anymore. Your DevOps team can take care Mm -hmm. of it. Your DevSecOps team can take care of it. But I think it's really important to develop that RBAC structure and be able to differentiate what the roles and responsibilities of those different teams are. And in the future of the IT org structure is very flexible. It does allow for the interoperability of different roles and responsibilities cross function. But it's how do you want to organize those in a way that is going to be conductive and conducive to a functional IT org. Right. So it's kind of a strategic question at that point, you know? Right. What do you want what do you want your org to look like or what should it look like? And as I'm digging into the Azure world a little bit more, and it's like I see a lot of opportunity for areas that DevOps and, and developers don't really care about. They don't really care about cost functionality. They don't really care about like operation maintenance or really care about like the online network structure and there's plenty i think for an infrastructure and operations team to do without really breaking the boundaries of being a devops team it's very possible for the infrastructure and operations team to take some of the devops responsibilities so they can focus on app development and ensuring that the applications operations work instead of less of like the right. the instances and the templates and i think that's really hard I think for people to visualize it's because they're used to building out their own instances and their own templates and they're uh, like and deploying them on their own but when you think about once you have that stuff deployed who is really keeping it up and running and that maintenance on the application side because yes you're editing JSON and the functionalities are very much the same but you have to think of your infrastructure and operations team as really taking on the incoming requests building out that stuff and then DevOps really keeping the house running as far as the application side of it goes. Yeah. Um, like I've been, I occasionally cross the streams in my org with the QA teams. I'm not a member of the DevOps or apps teams, but I find myself like kind of being, I, I get pulled into their QA meetings because I'm, I have the admin access on the server. I'm just there. It's like, Hey, you have the privilege just to do the testing and execution. Um, we do it under a service account, but since we're doing a test scenario, we just need someone with the ability just to have us run them. But I'm watching what they're doing when they screen share and they're just an ADO. They're just doing commits. And I'm like, I do the same thing with my PowerShell scripts for our own stuff. And I'm like, you know, how much, you know, a lot of this is really starting to merge with one another. It really is. And I think there really, there really is a need for both, but I think it's really finding that line and allowing it to be blurred and allowing sort of the inter, the functionality, the cross-functional usage of both sides and not really denying or saying no to things, but really allowing both teams to collaborate and work together in a way that is productive. Yeah. And yeah, that comes down to the old way of doing things was, you know, your infra team, your server team had, you know, they did the VMware, they would stand up the servers. But then once you built your server out and you handed the keys to the apps team, you're like, okay, we built your server, we set up the networking and provisioned it. It's built to business standards. We have all the specs and everything you need to be successful. Now you need to install your app, configure it, and set it up. Well, now with things with infrastructure as code, it's like you can kind of do that all in one step. So you kind of have to determine where is the blurred line in the middle 
where both teams can share the same responsibility of the infra's code, but you don't want to overwhelm either team with having to set the entire server and maintain the app as well. So I think maybe there could be some more intermingling of these teams and the operations, but at the same time, you don't want to completely shift all of the tasks to one team unless you're going to absorb all of the members of the other team into yours. And that's exactly it, is that you need to still have those checks and balances because historically developers, and I'm, I'm sorry if I offend anyone, are not really focused on the security side. And I'm not saying that this is like a blanket statement or like, there's no one right. who does it. But their their job is really to produce something and get it out. And that's why we have that's why we have SecOps or a SOC exactly. or something. They're they're here to help you. Exactly. You have to have a balance and then at the same time too, like infrastructure usually typically runs like um the identity aspect of getting accounts and sort of owning that house. And I think that's gonna be more important than ever. Yeah, you're totally right. Because having the, the the foundation of a cloud organization comes truly down to the identity and access management of you can have DevOps building out this stuff, but you have to make sure that the roles and rights are exactly where they need to be. Infrastructure really needs to be driving the cloud adoption and being the champions to difficult situations and being able to really advocate for these ideas and these technologies and how they work. Because that is not going to be a developer. Their focus, or even DevOps, their focus is on making sure the app works and is functional. And it's not really so much about the groundwork. Yeah, and you have plenty of sysadmins who might be older or the more seasoned, and they say, I don't want to learn a thousand programming languages. You know, that's not what I signed up for in 1995. You know, I, I want to use my prepackaged software. I'm not a developer. I want to configure it, maintain it, be, my ma- be the master of it. But, you know, they don't necessarily are concerned with the code aspects that's gotten a little more complicated nowadays you know you have to you have to probably know at least a little bit to get by right but, yeah like you said so gartner has put out an article on called evolve your infrastructure and operations organization to remain relevant in the cloud era and it was published this february of 2020 and one of the interesting aspects is how it INO teams must increase their value in the cloud era. And the opportunity for the future is own the cloud center of excellence. So what this means is that you really are the advocates of moving to the cloud. Like you're you're saying yes to new ideas. And then the next thing is like becoming the experts of the cloud and allow and how you use it to the best. So you are the experts on the cloud. So DevOps and developers really come to you for how do we set this stuff up and what is the best way to do it? And then mm-hmm. the next thing yeah. is the broker, so you're brokers, essentially. You are now the, the brokers and you're handing stuff back and forth. So you want to have a curated set of ready-to-use cloud services. So what are the cloud services that are recommended? What are the different things that are available? And really allowing, giving developers and DevOps really their own little playground, but not letting them go crazy. You have the idea of like... um like service portals and catalogs, you know, mm-hmm. if you're going to be the, the server ops or infrastructure team, you can maybe be more of like the, the custodian or the, like the person who consults, you kind of give them your guidance and recommendations. Exactly. Your idea. And then you let them build in the world that you're sort of recommending. And it's really not different than old style or maybe the worlds that we come from. It's just like shifting a little bit. So you're also curating the best practices of framework and then tribal knowledge. So like using what you know from around 
uh, enabling easier right. cloud adoption by pre-integrating common systems. So you're going to really focus on the common systems and integrating them for basically, like you said, creating that catalog of exactly. what they can use or what's available to them as far as tools and then foster the community of collaboration across virtual cloud teams. So really letting people and uh, do what they need to do without always saying no. And then one of the things they really point out is uh, embrace the opportunities to be the department of yes. And <laughs> historically, we can both attest to this. Infrastructure is always known as the team of no. <laughs> we can't do that. This is why we can't do that. Yeah, I don't like, you think I like telling people they can't do something all day? No, I empowerment and enablement is our wheelhouse you know we want to be able to get you to what you want to do successfully you know we we are the ones who built the house and maintain the house we don't want to tell you you can't use the bathrooms or half the rooms in the house or that the basement's off limits or something so really the focus is becoming becoming basically the the operator for cloud systems so you remember like back in the day you'd call like um, four one one, and then you'd get like get the operator. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And they would be like, "Okay, who do you want to call today?" And then you'd look it up. Like so, being like the f- the phone book of here's all the services that we put together. Like, which one would you like? Or being the janitor, as I like to call it. <laughs> right. Sometimes you just need someone to talk to on the phone. Exactly. Just whisper your sweet nothings to, and maybe get some assurance on that thing you want to set up. Exactly, because. You're the experts in this topic, so it gives DevOps and development the the freedom to do what they need to do, but also not let them go buck wild. Right. You want to be like the babysitter or the, the helping hands. You want to be the parent who's... Not the police officer. You have the good set of uh, the, the, the spoons that don't hurt that feed you. I, I don't exactly. know where I'm going with this. I'm, I don't I'm know where you're going weird, either. I'm going weird places with this analogy. Yeah, you went weird quick. So <laughs> Sorry. Happens no, sometimes. Good. So because we've been talking for a very long time, uh, I think it's yeah. time for the Ask the Stiffs question of the week. Yeah, and it's a relevant question of the week considering what we've been talking about. Look at that. What do you think a sysadmin job description should be, Steve? Okay, so just going from experience <laughs> from what past job ex- job descriptions were posted as that I w- that I was accepted to versus what they ended up being, I think maybe it should kind of go something like this. Look. We need a guy who kind of knows, you know, how to do a server, but at the same time, we might need you to maybe fix a toilet now and then. We're looking for someone who has their fair acumen in networking. You've done some stuff with Microsoft. We kind of really wish you were super versed in system center configuration manager if possible. But look, let's be real here. We're probably going to have you pull into a Wi-Fi project that's going to be kind of way out of your element. But we really just want you to be halfway competent, know enough of a baseline, be perfectly willing to be spooned whatever we sling your way, and be open to any kind of administration that we can't really think of in a job description. Certifications? Uh, We can ask you to have some, but it probably honestly won't matter in the long run. Or if it's an MCSA, those are basically deprecated at this point. College degree, eh, it's nice, but we really shouldn't require it, to be honest. It's down to the experience and the willingness to learn. Can you 
talk to someone without completely vomiting in front of them? That also is helpful. And are you a good person? That's kind of my general idea of maybe a sysadmin job description. It's kind of open book. It shouldn't be a static set of requirements. It should be be open to whatever is about to happen. And um, I don't know. I feel that's that that's kind of my ideal job description, especially compared to ones that I would apply for something I thought the the situation I thought it was going to be versus what it actually ended up being. Yeah, I also think some level of mental health issue <laughs> is also required. Yeah, you know, I'm kidding. Um, uh, kind of, not really, but I I agree with you on that. I think flexibility and being dynamic is really important. Yeah, being able to deal with whatever kind of gets thrown at you. And don't forget to have at least 15 years of experience with Windows Server 2019. Oh, yes. <laughs> and at least 30 years of experience with Office 365. See, that those, those always get me. It's like when you need X amount of years experience with a product that hasn't existed for that long. Right. Yeah, no, it, it drives me crazy. I'm like, there's no way I could have 15 years experience with Office 365. One, I was in high school. And two, like, it's, I think, just about 15 years old. Yeah, right. And uh, I, I, thought I, I thought I somehow had saved the names of the job descriptions that I had in the past. And I, I, th- I think I might have misspoke, mis- misremembered what I thought I had. But I was going to oh. go through maybe an old one. But I think I remember it was something like, Corporate IT help desk. I remember at the end of that, at the end of that, I was doing anything but that. I was building servers out, building labs, imaging computers, being both a public facing and an internal facing support tier. And occasionally I'd have to go up into ceilings and rewire stuff or maybe change a light bulb now right. and then. No big deal. You know, how do you fit that into a job description, especially if it's long term? Right? Okay. Are you ready for this? So guess what year oh, Office ready. 365 like was officially launched? Um, 2012? 2011. It's only nine years old. Ah, I, uh, I knew it was around that time. I was almost, I was almost there. Was That's close. like really surprising to me. I guess I didn't realize that I was truly an early adopter, like that I was indoctrinated early on. Yeah, and uh, I don't remember if it was always called Office 365. I think it went through a couple of slight it, it iterations. Did. It did. Like Office Online. Mm-hmm. And I think it was originally got... Office Online, wasn't it? Yeah, I, I remember because back in the day, way back in the day, uh, the web apps used to be based, they had like the 2010 branding to them, the mm-hmm. web apps online, and they looked more like on-premise SharePoint yes. web apps. And they were called Office Online, I think, or Excel Online, Word Online. And those names have kind of mildly changed and shifted over time. Oh, yeah. No, it's definitely had a few changes over the years. So. Yeah. Times change, things change. Yep. But yeah, that's my that's my ideal job description. I don't know if you have a, any different uh, no, perspective th- on that or anything. No, I think that's really perfect. Um, and I would not change a thing about it. I think I should all just start out with, look, man, we're not quite sure what we think you'll do. And if you're looking for that, hey... We can try to, to give you a list of what we think we'll need from you, but you know, the, with the way our org changes, the way we might need something done, you might just need to be able just be open to roll with the punches. Mm-hmm. We can't quite tell you what all you think you'll need, right? And we're especially okay if you don't know everything because nobody knows everything, right? But we're gonna ask you a lot if you know a lot about everything. I, th- I remember, like, I think one of the craziest aspects of one of my old sysadmin jobs was like okay yeah you do servers all the modern stuff but we also have an air conditioning unit for the building that's running off of a system that's running windows 95 and 
we only have spare parts that we can eBay if this thing goes down. And we might need you to know this too. But it's like, you don't want to put that in the job description. No, never. Oh, that's too funny. Yeah, no, that's not something you want to add to the job description at all. So just be ready and expect the unexpected. Yeah. And be open to the unexpected. Yeah, no, good times. That's just admining for for real. All right. Well, I think it's time to wrap this up because we've been talking for a real long time. And I'm sure everyone doesn't want to talk to us anymore or hear us (laughs) talk. Maybe not. (laughs) We'll see. We'll see how it goes. We'll see. If you like hearing us talk. All right. If you like hearing us talk, you can go to hthpc.com where all of our podcasts, 31 episodes, ironically, today on the 31st of October. I just want to point that out. Three, one. So you should like and subscribe. Mostly like. I've always wanted to say that, like the YouTubers. You can mostly like us. Mostly like us. You don't need to subscribe, but that would be awesome if you did. So like and subscribe. You can express your mostly like to us via means of ratings on podcast places. Basically all of the podcast places. That'd be great. Really leave us a rating. That helps us a lot. It gets us on some lists that are not really important, but we like seeing our name on stuff. So They're not FBI lists, hopefully. I hope not. (laughs) I really hope not. That would be not so great. That's not the kind of list we want the podcast on. I would not like to be on that list, please. So like and subscribe, hhpc.com, and hopefully we'll be back soon with a new episode where you can hear us rant about techie things and other boring things that we'll talk about. Yeah, we'll have a, we we have endless things to talk about. It's just a matter of if we can just kind of get them all together and figure out what we want to talk about. Yeah, coherent thoughts. Yeah, we record when able. Sometimes it's, as you can clearly tell, if you've been following us, we're not consistent. We record when we're able to, when the stars align. Time permits, all the magical things. We're lousy fair. Yeah, we're not, we don't do this seriously. We don't get paid. Um, This is for fun. Some of the best podcasts are the ones that are done as hobbies. Yeah. This is a hobby podcast. Yeah. Anyways. Well, we'll just round it off real quick. So, yeah. Um, Till next time, everyone. Uh, from us to the show. you. Is that what you from us say? to you. From us to you. Uh, <laughs> go, you know, uh, have have fun trick-or-treating. Go vote, please. Vote, please. please. Do it. Just do it. Uh, if you're in the U.S., it's voting time. It's time to go vote. Go vote. Yes, vote. Vote, 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 vote. And if it's not voting season, if you're listening to this years, days, weeks, months later, uh, just disregard this. From us to you, we... Hope Hope this helps. helps. Bye.